Welcome to the Very Well Mind podcast. I'm Mina B, and I'm a licensed social worker, mental health educator, and author of Owning Our Struggles. Usually, I'm chatting with experts, wellness advocates, and others about the power of community care in improving mental health. In this episode, though, we are taking a different approach. Instead of having a guest, it's all about our audience because it's Ask Mina Anything Day. Listeners had the chance to write in and ask their burning questions, as well as share their dilemmas, and I'm here to assist them in addressing their issues, provide advice, and share some insight. So let's dive into some of these questions. Our first question that comes in says, Dear Mina, I grew up in an abusive household and recently realized there was abuse from both parents. One parent openly disliked me, while the other was physically abusive and also love-bombed. After therapy and failed attempts to set boundaries, I cut off the openly abusive parent. The other parent is sneaky about violating boundaries plays the victim, and seeks sympathy. It's difficult for me to limit interactions with them. And although I know it's not healthy, I struggle with completely cutting them out because the abuse seems unintentional. I don't know where to start. Discussions about boundaries become defensive and triggering, and direct communication is the same. How can I protect my own sanity when my boundaries are not respected or understood? And how can I protect my child from this torment while still maintaining a relationship with their grandparent? Dealing with abuse from a parent can be extremely difficult to navigate. And what this listener is saying is something that a lot of people tend to struggle with in their homes. The idea that the abuse seems unintentional. Sometimes people's behaviors are unintentional. Sometimes we don't intend to hurt people. We don't intend to harm people. But what's important when it comes to holding yourself accountable as an adult is when someone comes to you and says, listen, when you speak to me this way, it really hurts my feelings. When you talk to me this way in front of my child, it really makes me feel uncomfortable. When you bring awareness to a person, holding themselves accountable means I listen to you, I take in what you're saying, And now I commit to action to do better. So the first thing I want to encourage you is to recognize that even if you feel that the abuse seems unintentional, you still have a responsibility to inform this parent of how they are making you feel. And how they choose to respond will be telling. If they choose to continue in their behavior that is problematic, If they decide to minimize, if they decide to judge or belittle your emotions, that helps you to understand where you stand with your parent and their ability to hold themselves accountable and commit to change. When it comes to protecting your own sanity, unfortunately, sometimes erecting boundaries looks like understanding what is the consequence in place. And so, what does it look like for you to protect your peace? 
when you are engaging with this parent, what does it look like to say, you know what, I'm going to have to end this conversation right now because I shared with you many times that when you speak to me this way, it makes me uncomfortable and here you are doing it again. In order to protect your sanity, you have to ask yourself, what is the boundary that I need to erect? Have I communicated this boundary? And have I also set a consequence when this person crosses my boundary? What I also want you to understand is that people who are emotionally immature will engage in emotionally manipulative tactics, and they will minimize your feelings because they don't have the maturity to really own their actions and hold themselves accountable. So when you say you are greeted with defensiveness, this might be a sign that your parent might be too emotionally immature to have a healthy conversation, which means ultimately that you have to stand firm in your boundary. What this also means is that there is a strong likelihood that until your parent learns to do their own inner work, to recognize their own behavioral patterns, to pay attention to the ways that they cause emotional harm, they're not going to be okay with hearing your boundary or even abiding to your boundary if they are not doing their own inner work to recognize the impact that they have on you. So when it comes to protecting your sanity, I want you to really be rooted in your own ability to recognize that you can be firm in your boundary even when someone is uncomfortable with it. You can be firm in your boundary even when it makes someone upset. And when you are also setting boundaries, sometimes cutting someone out isn't the only option. So I hear you cut off your other openly abusive parent. And maybe with this particular parent, maybe you're just not ready to cut them out fully. So what does it look like for you to adjust a degree of closeness with them? For you to realize, listen, I'm not ready to fully let go, but I also understand if I stay close to this person, it is going to impact my mental health. And so maybe we can't hang out all the time. Maybe I can't go to their house frequently or they can't come to my house frequently. Maybe I have to adjust the way we interact with one another until I feel safe enough to decide if I can continue to have a relationship with them. Now, when you ask, how can you protect your child from this torment while still maintaining a relationship with their grandparent? One of the things I want you to own and understand is that you have a right to do what you feel you need to do to protect your child, even if this grandparent wants to have a relationship with them. And so as the parent, you get to say to the grandparent, these are the rules and these are the boundaries when it comes to interacting with my child. This is what makes me feel unsafe about you interacting with my child. This is what makes me comfortable when it comes to you interacting with my child. Your parent has to earn a relationship with your child and show you that they are safe enough to be around your kid. And so I want you to stand firm in also knowing that yes, it's natural for us to want close relationships with people in our families. It's also natural for you to want your child to have a close relationship with their grandparent. But if you realize that your parent is unsafe, and your parent also isn't doing the work to hold themselves accountable, the same harm they cause you, they may unintentionally also cause that harm to your child. 
So consider what boundaries you need to set for yourself as well as for your child moving forward and decide what does adjusting the degree of closeness look like if you're not ready to cut them out fully. The second question that comes in says, Dear Mina, I am a sex-neutral, asexual woman in a relationship with a man. How do I go about broaching the topic of intimacy in our relationship moving forward when I am not opposed to sex, but it isn't a thought that ever naturally occurs to me? Before we dive in, let's unpack what it means to be asexual for those who have never heard this term before. Asexuality is a sexual orientation characterized by a lack of sexual attraction or infrequent experience of sexual attraction. Asexual individuals may not experience sexual desire or have a low interest in engaging in sexual activities with others. However, it's important to know that just because someone is asexual, it doesn't mean that they don't want to have sex. It just means that they have a low interest or a lack of sexual desire. So when it comes to approaching this topic, in any relationship, communication is extremely important. It's really important to be able to communicate to your partner where you fall on the spectrum of sexuality. Letting them know, hey, these are my preferences around sex. This is also how my libido works. I don't necessarily have a high sex drive compared to other people or maybe compared to you, my partner. And so it's really important to communicate and have honest conversations around what you feel comfortable doing. I think it's also important to have conversations around what non-sexual intimacy looks like in a relationship. When we hear the word intimacy, on a societal level, we're really quick to automatically think intimacy equals sex. But intimacy can mean many things. It could look like holding hands with someone. It could look like kissing, hugging, cuddling, and engaging in various forms of activity that doesn't require sex. I encourage you to visualize what intimacy looks like for you, even outside of sex. And the reason why this can be important is because when you engage in non-sexual forms of intimacy, this can also lead to sexual desire. And when you engage in non-sexual forms of intimacy, you feel a greater sense of closeness to your partner. And this can also bring up higher levels of arousal to then want you to engage in sex with your partner. Another thing I would encourage you to do with your partner is to explore each other's bodies without intercourse. This can also look like kissing, and this can look like engaging in different practices so that you can figure out what actually turns you on, what enhances your libido, what helps play a role in a sexual desire toward your partner. Now, here's something else that I think is really important to discuss. And it's about having open and honest communication about the goals of the relationship. Are you seeking to be together long-term or is this just a fling? And the reason why this is extremely important is because you want to ensure that you and your partner feel like you are aligned. Your partner might say, it's important for me to be in a relationship with someone who matches my sexual desire. 
And you might realize that as someone who is asexual, this is something that you struggle with and therefore you may not feel aligned to move forward long term. And so although that is a really hard conversation to have, exploring it helps you to use discernment around how to move forward. Your partner might say, you know what, we do have different sexual desires, but I'm still interested in working with you. I'm still interested in figuring out how can we explore each other's bodies and sexual desires so that we can still have a sexually gratifying relationship. And so again, remember that communication is extremely important for the longevity of a relationship. But when we're talking about intimacy, remember that intimacy doesn't always mean sex or intercourse. And so I encourage you to think about different ways that you can engage in non-sexual intimacy as a way to grow closer with your partner. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back to the Very Well Mind podcast. I'm your host, Mina B. The next question that comes in says, Dear Mina, I went no contact with a person after five years of emotional, spiritual, and physical abuse. I'm fighting with thoughts of confusion and anger. How can I deal with these feelings in a healthy way? When we're in relationships with people who are abusive, we might find ourselves feeling a variety of emotions. And that is because in these relationships, no one person is all good or all bad. And because of this, we might find ourselves having really conflicting emotions about letting the person go. And even after letting them go, we might still feel the sense of confusion. Did I make the right choice? Did I do the right thing? Could I have given this person another chance? We might reflect and say, yeah, this person abused me emotionally, spiritually, and even physically, but when they were good, it was great. When they were kind to me, when they were nice to me, when they were listening to me, taking me on dates, or depending on our relational dynamic, we might find ourselves really clinging to the good of that person and disregarding all of the harm that they caused. What I want to encourage you to think about is why you let this person go. Deciding to go no contact is a big deal. And so that shows that this person must have left a mark on you, both emotionally, spiritually, and as you even said, physically, that you realized, if I stay, my mental health will continue to suffer. And so I want you to be thinking about the why. I want you to be thinking about why you let go of this person. And I also want you to think about the many ways you may have benefited after letting them go. I also want you to sit with the grief and loss that comes with letting someone go. Because grief and loss can lead to feelings of confusion, anger, sadness, anxiety, and even depression. And so healthy ways to deal with our emotions is to, one, acknowledge that our emotions exist. But our emotions are not meant to be guides to tell us what to do. Too often, people engage in a cognitive distortion called emotional reasoning. So we say, if I feel afraid, I must not do this thing. If I feel sad, 
then that must mean something bad is happening to me. If I feel guilty, I must have done something bad. And what we need to do is acknowledge that even though I feel this thing, it does not mean that I have to act on my emotion. And so I want you to really do some work around reflecting around the feelings that you have. Maybe you can engage in journaling. But another form of journaling I encourage people to engage in is something called audio journaling. And this is because when we talk out loud, we can hear the discrepancies in our thinking. So you might listen to yourself talk, or you might even listen to the replay of you journaling, and you might hear yourself saying things that are either false, or you might pick up on things that you realize, hey, I feel this thing, but it's not wise for me to act on it. So I encourage you to utilize that practice as a way to manage difficult emotions. Co-regulation is also a very important practice that we can engage in. The difference between co-regulation and self-regulation is that self-regulation is when we engage in practices on our own to regulate our nervous system and to deal with really difficult emotions. So journaling, the example I just gave you, is a form of self-regulation. But sometimes we actually need to call a friend. And sometimes we need to call a friend to hold us accountable and remind us of why we went no contact with someone. We might need them for advice. We might need them just so that they can be a listening ear. Or we might need them so that they can provide us with emotional support. That is what co-regulation means. Using someone else's nervous system to calm our nervous system down. So I encourage you to think of different ways that you can continue to self-regulate as well as co-regulate when you find yourself in a state of confusion, anger, maybe depression or sadness as you think about this person. But always be committed to your why. Also remember that missing someone is not a reason to engage in recommunicating and reconnecting with someone. And so really cling to the idea of what do you feel you deserve moving forward and what does it mean to be in a safe relationship? Our final question that comes in says, Dear Mina, I have a friend who is consistently late for hangouts, often by three to four hours, and she has done this multiple times. I have expressed my frustration with her lateness, but she dismisses my concerns and tells me to let go of any expectations. This hurts because it feels like she doesn't care about how her actions affect me as a friend. To protect myself, I have decided to distance myself from her because I was growing to resent her. Additionally, She expects me to prioritize her needs over everything else, yet she can't even make the minimal effort to be on time for hangouts. Please provide advice on how to stop feeling guilty about giving her space. It's a sad and unfair situation. What I hear from this situation is that this person that you're calling your friend has shown you who she is and has also communicated to you to not hold her to any standards or have any expectations of her. And while this can be very hurtful to hear, I think on your end, what you may have to do 
is start setting boundaries, not just with this friend, but also with yourself. When it comes to setting boundaries, what that means is we need to set limits because we realize there are certain things that we can't tolerate. There are certain things we don't like. And so we have to draw a line in the sand between us and whatever that other situation is or between us and that person. And it is up to us to uphold our boundaries. And so when someone shows us who they are, we have to use discernment and sound judgment to decide how we are going to maneuver in relationship with this person. According to what you're saying, this is a friend who is consistently late. It wasn't a one-time incident. It wasn't where it happened twice and maybe they apologized for it. This is someone who is saying, I'm chronically late and honestly, I'm probably going to continue to be chronically late. Where it sounds like this person cannot meet your needs. You desire to be in a friendship with someone where when you make plans, they show up on time. And so I encourage you to think about what does it look like to move forward in this relationship knowing that this is someone who is probably never going to show up one time when you want to hang out. And the reason why I also say that is because this person has used language to state that they cannot commit to the things that you're asking of them. And so the best choice here is to discern where you need to erect boundaries. Can you go on a hangout with this person knowing that they might be three to four hours late? Or can you realize that, listen, this isn't someone that I can hang out with because not only are they chronically late, they're okay with being late. And they have shown me as well as expressed to me that they are not able to be the person that I need them to be or commit to being on time. So when you say how to stop feeling guilty, guilt means I did something bad. So I want you to reframe how you're thinking about this situation. Is it actually bad for you to want to be in relationship with someone who shows up on time? To give you an answer, no, it is not bad to expect your friends to be on time when you both planned to meet somewhere. Sometimes we start to feel guilty about things that are healthy, and it's truly because of societal standards around things. Some of us are conditioned to believe that if we say no, we're bad people. If we set a boundary, we feel guilty about it because we've been told that it's not okay. We've been told that we have to self-sacrifice and put people's needs before our own. But this is someone who is expressing and letting you know who she is and what she can give you. So my question for you is, can you continue to maintain a relationship with someone like this? And can you continue to plan gatherings and get-togethers with someone who does not care about your time? It is a sad and unfair situation, but I don't want you to feel like you are powerless. You have choice in this situation as well. And so since your friend is letting you know what she can give you in this relationship, you have the power to discern what are you willing to tolerate. So instead of feeling guilty about giving your friend space, learn to reframe that and say, I am giving my friend space so that I can also protect my peace. I am giving my friend space so that I can uphold my boundary. I am giving my friend space because my needs matter too. 
And if this friend can't meet my needs, and if this friend is expressing to me where they stand in this relationship and what they can give, I can use discernment to decide how to move forward in this relationship. So that's all for this episode. Thank you to everyone who submitted questions. If you have a burning question or dilemma that you need expert advice on, head to verywellmind.com slash podcast to fill out our Ask Mina Anything form for a chance to have your question answered. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode of the Very Well Mind podcast. If you found this conversation informative, please share today's episode with your friends and on your social media accounts. And of course, it would be greatly appreciated if you could take a moment to leave a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We hope you'll join us again next week for another episode of the Very Well Mind podcast as we explore the power of community.